the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, good news, folks. Uh, I think we're a big part of this, by the way. You, me, WABC audience, it looks like... Um, it's almost a lock for uh, Lee Zeldin. Now oh, we can't rest. I know we got to get out there and vote. We got to keep up, keep up the pressure. But the numbers are coming in, and um, it's beyond panic. The, 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 it's just setting in for the Kathy Hochul people that, uh oh, we miscalculated wildly. We are finished. We are finished. Top level Democrats have given up on that campaign. Can't happen. She can't win. Now, anything can happen in politics, so we got to be very aggressive and get out there and vote, of course, for Lee Zeldin. A vote for Lee Zeldin is a vote for law and order, safety, and sanity, and send her back to Buffalo. She can go up to the beauty parlor, do whatever she does up there, um, but uh, no, not 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 here, not, not, not the governor, not this time. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. This is going to be glorious, okay? Again, get the hell out there. We all got to do it. And I know a lot of you gave money. A lot of you stepped up and gave money. And remember, even if it was 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. You want those little donations. A lot of little donations are a lot better than one big donation. So, uh, good stuff. I am hearing great things about the data, the numbers, uh, the, the vote so far. It's looking very, very good for Lee Zeldin in New York. This has not happened since 1994, if it does happen, and I think it will if we do our part, uh, a Republican taking back Albany from a Democrat. The last guy who did it was George Pataki. He took on Mario Cuomo. And let's face it, uh, Kathy Hochul is no Mario Cuomo, right? Okay, we can all agree. So uh, this is uh, this is doable. It's going to happen, I believe. Got to get out there. Yeah, I had Pataki on the show last night, Governor Pataki. He's a really great guy, just a statesman, you know. And I actually asked him at one point, like, did you ever, like, talk to, uh, have an in-depth conversation with Mario Cuomo? And they did. They actually kind of had a very cordial, kind of an in-depth conversation about governing and things like that. But Mario Cuomo was shocked. He did not see that one coming. Losing, losing. And Mario Cuomo, he he couldn't make up his mind whether or not he wanted to be the chief Supreme Court justice or... Um, president of the United States. I mean, that those are the kinds of things that he was musing about. Uh, he should have been paying a bit more attention to the basics. Uh, I actually like Mario Cuomo. Kind of grew up with him as governor. Um, you know what? You ever hear of one? For some reason, I had a dream last night of, and Hugh Carey showed up in my dream. I'm just realizing that right now. You ever hear like all these random people show up in your dreams? I'm, I'm just realizing Hugh Carey was in my dream last night. And then, you know, you have these strange dreams, you know, like some substitute teacher I had in 1977, you know, just shows up out of the blue. You know, I just, what the hell? We, the I have a recurring dream that Ronald Reagan is playing uh, basketball in uh, a, a field of Fig Newtons uh, with the weatherman from Channel 7. I mean, what the hell is that all about? Why is our, why do our brains work this way? It's just Ronald Reagan, The what, what do they have to do with each other? Nothing, zero. All right. Back to the matter at hand. It's going to happen. Lee Zeldin, congratulations. Well, it's too it's too premature, but congratulations definitely on a well-fought campaign, on an excellent debate. Hey, uh, I see as I scan the screens out there, nobody is talking about Paul Pelosi. Well, I guess it must be because we've been told everything, and it's just this uh, this crazy MAGA intruder just came in there, and he was going after Nancy Pelosi, and uh, 
you know, thank God that Paul Pelosi was able to call 911 and speak to them in code and the cops showed up. It just must be exactly like they're saying, right? Just exactly like they're saying. Nothing to see here. Just an awful event. We've got to give them privacy. I understand. I see Nancy Pelosi is asking for privacy again now that Paul is back from the hospital. She really is into this privacy thing. Um, again, one of the first crime victims I can ever recall asking for privacy. I've heard about it a million times. Anybody who gets divorced, anybody who uh, uh, gets in trouble, their kid gets in trouble. You know, you want privacy at this time. But uh, when you're a crime victim, you want privacy. I, I don't know. You want justice. I think you want justice. So, look, for two years, uh, the fake news wasted our time with Russia collusion, and there was absolutely no story there. But for two years, wham, developing uh, events from Washington, D.C., the FBI direct testifies. You know, it's just headline after headline after headline. And it was all a great big scam. Uh, did not exist. No collusion. Zero. None. Um, but it was a story somehow for two years. This, they are desperate now. They want it out of the headlines. And a lot of people are obeying the wishes. And they don't want to talk about it. They will not talk about it. Uh, I am not convinced. I'm just not. They're sorry. They're 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 being very very strange about the whole damn thing. You know it, and I know it. Um, let me see here. I had something about that. Uh, you know, Michael Fanone. Uh, I just want to say this. Uh, um, wait, what was the thing that we were talking about? He's home from the hospital. There are reporters all over the place right now, all over that house. I guess we learned yesterday that the uh, suspect, Mr. The Pape, actually came in illegally to the United States or was here illegally. He overstayed his visa. He came in in 2008 by way of Mexico, by the way. He's Canadian, came here via Mexico. Hey, remember how I said he, in the alleged conversation he had with Paul Pelosi, got it right and everybody gets it wrong? Everybody thinks that uh, Nancy Pelosi is third in line to the presidency. Everybody says that. They're wrong. She's um, second in line. She is second in line. Kamala Harris is first in line. The line forms Kamala Harris. She would be number two. Uh, the district attorney, Brooke Jenkins, gets this wrong in her affidavit. But in the alleged conversation between Pelosi and DePape, DePape gets it right. Now, I'm just wondering, by the way, because I don't believe the conversation unfolded the way they say it did. And if somebody had to script that or write their rendition, I would imagine that you would have a pretty skilled political person doing that, right? Somebody who really knows politics um, and would know that, know the difference, that it's she's the second in line, not the third in line. Just one of the many things about this case. There was something, well, look, they're dropping it. And unfortunately, we don't have as much to work with as we uh, as we used to. Um, you know, we do kind of rely on the fake news to an extent, uh, to you know, a lot of these big outfits, they have the resources, but they're not using them on this case. Um, the Joe Biden speech is now going down in history as one of the worst presidential addresses uh, in the world ever. No one's talking about it. It's also very, very much forgotten at this point. But this is really interesting. This little, this little tidbit. This is when was this? Tuesday night, the night before last. Cut twenty-six, please. As I stand here today. There are candidates running for every level of office in America, for governor, Congress, attorney general, secretary of state, who won't commit, they will not commit to accepting the results of elections that they're running in. 
this a path to chaos in America. It's unprecedented. It's unlawful. And it's un-American. I've said before, you can't love your country only when you win. Well, tell that to Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, her advice to you, Joe Biden, and were you taking this advice? Don't concede under any circumstances. Cut 27. This is from the September of 2020. Hillary Clinton's advice to then-candidate Joe Biden. Cut 27. You know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch and if we are as focused and relentless as the other side is. Wow. Under any circumstances. What about the circumstances if uh, Donald Trump gets more votes? No, don't concede. Don't concede under any circumstances. She says, I think we will win if we hold together, not if we get out there and campaign and get more votes. No, if we hold together. Oh, boy, are they corrupt. They are. They are bad, bad people. Oh, um, got to do this about uh, Eric Adams. Where did he Did you hear that thing about um, I'm the pilot, right? I'm a pilot of this plane and he's giggling. You know, Eric Adams thinks he's the pilot of New York City. Cut 35. And, you know, you know, I hear often. Uh, I'm the pilot. Anyone that's wishing for the pilot to fail, they better realize they're on this plane. <laughs> We're all in this together. Right now, I'm the pilot. And we should be all praying for a safe landing on <laughs> as we're in this plane together and not cross our fingers for some, something something to happen. Pray for me because I'm got I got to land this. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for me. He's just so giddy about it and giggling about it. Well, it's funny that he said this because uh, I found this from back in July. I actually said Eric Adams is very much like a pilot, but not not a real pilot, but a little kid pilot. This is Greg Kelly on my Newsmax show, uh, July of uh, July of this year. Cut thirty six. He's a total amateur when it comes to power. You know, being the mayor of a Big city like New York, it's kind of like being the captain of a plane. Very complex systems. You have to know what buttons to press. And Eric, he's very, you know, kind of cute. He reminds me of a little kid playing or pretending to be a pilot in a very big plane. Again, it's adorable. It's cute. Just like Mayor Adams. He looks the part, but he can't actually pull off the job. Oh, I love that segment. You know, and I showed, I first I showed a uh, picture of a cockpit of an actual airliner, all those dials and buttons and, you know, wow, that's very complex. And then I had one of the, you know, a little kid when they get to wear the wings and the pilot lets them in the cockpit. They used to do this a lot during 9-11, not as much anymore. And he was so cute just playing with the thing. And then I cut to a picture of uh, what Eric is really doing. He has no interest in flying the plane. He's partying in the back. He's partying in first class with the bottles and the models. Doesn't take it seriously at all. You know, if I become mayor, and I have a feeling I just might, all right, I think this might happen. I got, I'm got. i going to work like crazy. If I decide to do it, I will work so hard. Um, and if, if I'm fortunate enough to win, I will need help. I will need prayers. I will need cooperation. Uh, you know, as speaking as somebody who actually was a pilot nine years of my life, that was my life. I was a full-time attack pilot in the United States Marine Corps. I know enough about flying, and I know enough about life to not be out there going, <laughs> I, I'm the pilot. I'm going to land this plane all by myself, and I need your your support. Um, 
first of all, you don't land it by yourself. You, you rely on so many people. You rely on technicians. You rely on maintenance crews. You rely on the designers, who, the, the manuals, the people who wrote those manuals, the people who would design the ejection seat, the, everything, all these systems. It really is a, it's a team. Beyond the team, it's a community. And for the, did you hear the arrogance there? I'm a pilot. Um, no, no, that's not, he's, not only has he no skill, but he, he does not have the right temperament for the job, right? Can we agree? So I um, I just might do it. I might, I might, I might. We'll know more. Hey, by the way, if, if Zeldin wins, and I think he will be, don't you think that's a major indicator that, that, it's, that it's possible, right? That a race like mine, I could knock this clown off? Hmm? Um, yeah, Zeldin. What an example. Oh, I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. All right, give me a moment. I'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly. Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, it looks like Donald Trump is going to announce for president on November 14th. What day of the week is November 14th? Anybody know? Uh, It's going to announce on November 14th. It's a Monday? Oh, that doesn't sound right. I don't want a Monday. That doesn't sound that festive. I want a little bit later in the week. Anyway, he'd dominate the week, of course. Uh, if we do as well as I think we're going to do uh, in the midterms, uh, gosh, it'll be in large part thanks to him. You know, unlike so many other presidents, he he actually is working for the country. He's working for ideals. He's working for principles. You know, if you have popularity, what good is popularity if you don't use it for something? You know, he sticks his neck out. Compare other ex-presidents. What do they do? They enrich themselves. They just get to work on their phony foundation and their presidential library and making speeches all over the world for $300,000 a pop. Uh, this guy, he's, he's going to places I don't think he would necessarily go uh, if he weren't working to make America great. All right. Hey, where was the where was the um, rally last night? Iowa, I think he had, a, he had a rally last night in Iowa, wasn't it? And uh, he's out there all the time. He's making endorsements. It's another reason why. Yeah, it was Iowa. Another reason why these guys don't make endorsements usually. What if the guy loses? Oh, no, I'll look silly. Oh, no, uh, somebody will think that I'm not powerful. That's why they don't make endorsements, because they don't want to look bad if the guy loses. You know, to get anything done, to really get something done, you can't be afraid to look bad. You can get anything you want done If you're not afraid of looking like a jerk, if you're not afraid to, you know, and leadership is tough. You got to get red in the face and you got to get, make things happen. That's one of the problems with Obama. Too cool for school. He doesn't stick his neck out for nobody. Um, I was trying to do a good fellas thing there. He doesn't though, right? He's just calm, cool, collected. Uh, Barack Obama, baby. Hey, do you know that Michael Fanone is back? And on CNN, and they let him go on MSNBC, too. Remember this guy, Michael Fanone, the uh, Capitol Hill cop, the crybaby, cut 28? The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. Wow, he got really, really mad. 
um, somehow this cop thought fighting a riot might be is somehow beneath him. I, I don't get it. It's kind of one of the things they train you to deal with, right? So there he is on CNN last night. Oh, he was zoning out. I, I'm, I'm convinced he was on drugs. Had to be on something. What kind of drug is it when you're not blinking? When you just sit there for like a two minutes straight and you don't blink? What drug makes you do that? Can you look it up? There's some drug. I've never seen anything like it. It's got to be drug-induced. Anyway, because he sounded like he was on drugs. Uh, you tell me, does this make any sense whatsoever? Uh, Michael Fanone, Capitol Hill cop, now out there as a full-time CNN pundit, strategist, whatever. Cut 30, please. You don't think there's anything that will shock the conscience? I mean, do you think there's any turning around? Is there anything that works to turn people around? Uh, I, I mean, it's just going to take individual Americans waking up to the fact that, you know, the wolves are at the doorstep here uh, and we need to, you know, start looking to, uh, you know, our neighbors and, and looking at our greater communities rather than caring only about ourselves uh, and our own uh, careers and livelihoods. All right. I didn't know what he was talking about, and I don't think he did either. And it reminded me of who remembers this Miss Teen USA when they asked her, uh, hey, why can't people figure out where Iraq is on a map? You remember this? Cut 31. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed- education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they That's should... my favorite part such as <laughs> that's uh that's Fanon that's a that's a democrat uh telling you why you should vote democrat on Tuesday something like along those lines right uh what's our number again 800 oh sh- what the hell 84 84- 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Even New York One is acknowledging Kathy Hochul is in a free fall. Wow. Lee Zeldin, it looks like he's going to do it. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ooh, CNN exclusive. The Department of Justice may appoint a special counsel, a lawyer, a prosecutor, if Trump runs in 2024. <laughs> just Before he even runs, they're going to announce a special prosecutor. This will totally, totally make them even crazier if he runs, and it looks like he will, and it looks like he's going to uh, announce, uh, what is that, a week from Monday. It's going to happen really quick. Gosh, the month is going fast already. Um, wow, I think it's fantastic. And if he does run, uh, it's going to be very, very tough. They will go crazy all over again. Um, what else about that? This will be the earliest announcement, um, but not terribly early. You know, Obama declared in February of 2007, and the election wasn't until November of 08. He was uh, campaigning a full year before the uh, before the primaries and caucuses and all that stuff. It's totally fine. Totally fine. Um a Oprah Winfrey endorsed who the hell she she endorsed Fetterman, huh? Wow, what a snake in the grass she turned out to be. Oprah, you know she used to be good friends with Doctor Oz, and she I have a feeling they have something in common though. Uh, Oprah and Fetterman, 
their brains aren't working very well, actually. All right, let me hear what happened, please. And Latasha, you mentioned Pennsylvania. I have to see how this midterm campaign. Uh, I said it was up to the citizens of Pennsylvania. And of course, but I will tell you all this, if I lived in Pennsylvania, I would have already cast my vote for John Fetterman for many reasons. Like what? What the hell did she say? I met Oprah once. You know where I met her? Dr. Roz's house. She uh, ate his food, drank his, uh, I don't know what she was drinking, but she drank something over there. How about that? Just sit it the hell out. So here's why I think that she's got something in common with, um, with Fetterman. Her brain isn't working very well. How do I know that? Why do I say that? Well, when she came out and promoted the uh, Michelle Obama book, uh, whatever silly book that was called, Becoming Michelle, Being Michelle, whatever it was, she did these phony events, you know, where they tried to sell out stadiums and have these, you know, she would come out like she was Beyonce or somebody, Michelle would, and then she'd do this phony interview with, um, with Oprah. Well, I noticed that Oprah was reading off the floor. She had notes, like, laminated into the stage floor. She didn't have to do that uh, in her career. That's new. I think something is, uh, she's losing something upstairs. Something's going on there. Um, she lost whatever she had. And she did have a great touch. She was uh, she was pretty impressive. Um, but I think she just got too big, you know, the billionaires, being a billionaire. And it changes you. It changes you. And whatever happened to Stedman, by the way? Whatever happened to Stedman Graham? Who's he endorsing in this race? Gosh, that was really low. Really low. You go over to somebody's house and have dinner. Um, you, you can't endorse. You gotta just lay low. You gotta forget it. I know she went all in for the Obamas and that kind of thing. And hey, look, Obama fooled a lot of people. He fooled me back in 2008. Yes, he did. He fooled me. I thought, oh, wow, this could be new and different and interesting. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It just made us even more divided. Cut 33, please. Now, this vile racist conspiracy theory is as old as time. He's a racist. We've known for a long time that he is a racist. And go back to where you came from is it's peak racism. I think he is a racist. He's a racist. All right, racist. A bigot. The, the, the census, it's racist. Ice raids, it's racist. But it also is a racist book. But that's extremely racist. Yeah, I hate to state the obvious, but when you have to declare yourself not racist, that really means that you're racist. <laughs> All right, being, you know, we used to call people, what was a, a word growing up? You called somebody a jerk, right? Yeah, what a jerk you are. Now that's been replaced by uh, racist. You're racist. It's just like the easiest throwaway uh, line. You're racist. You're racist. Oh, you're a racist. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, although it does make people very, very upset. And I have a theory here. A woman named Nicole Hammond, 28 years old, was stabbed to death in the parking lot of her place of work up in Minnesota. She was 28 years old. Did I mention that? The assailant... The alleged assailant is a guy named Michael Carpenter, 36. Now, he worked with her. Now, I don't think there was anything racial going on. There's not racially motivated, the attack. But here's this. Um, he happens to be black. She happens to be white. And this guy, 
allegedly was hassling her at work up and down and all over, right? Giving her such a, you know, go out with me, go out with me, go out with me. Well, she rebuffed him, but she didn't go to management. She didn't, you know, seek out help. She didn't uh, ask anybody to step in. And why wouldn't she? Could it be that she's a little bit, she was reluctant to make that claim given the environment we live in, right? I mean, do you remember that woman? Uh, she happened to be white in St. Louis, and she was going into a condominium, and there was some guy behind her who she had never seen before who did not have a key fob. And she was like, uh, I'm not letting you in. And the guy came in anyway, and she's like, "What? who are you? What's going on? And that was national news. David Muir, that phony baloney mannequin from ABC, he leads his broadcast like this. Cut 34, please. The confrontation caught on video, a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. Oh, my God. How could a white woman do that to a black man? How could that happen? People do it to people all the time, right? So if that could become national news, you know what that sends? That's a real chilling message. It does. It, it sends like, wow. All right. So if I am somehow... I can't say anything if somebody could possibly play the race card. I, I notice I'm watching the news. They never say anything about the um, alleged assailant if the alleged assailant is uh, of color. They'll never point that out, no matter what the color of the victim. But if the alleged assailant is white, oh, my God, they can't stop talking about it. They will not. And they say it with such venom in their voices. Hey, we need to bring something called the perp walk to California. The perp walk. You know how we have the perp walk? And sometimes those perpetrators, uh, they say stuff. And it's interesting. And it could be useful. Cut 39. I'm shot. I'm the, I'm the victim. Why'd you do it? I didn't you tell us. He told me he was going to kill me. Why? He told me because I bumped into him, he was going to kill me. So what? Don't worry about me. I'm going to be all right. Have you remorse? What happened? No. You do the same thing all over again. Yeah, she didn't care about my family. She didn't care about my children. She didn't care about me. So that's the perp walk when they're moving the suspect from the jail to the court, right? Sometimes it's done in public. Here in New York, it's often done in public, especially after the initial arrest. And a lot of people, when they saw that, when Dominique Strauss-Kahn from the International Monetary Fund was arrested for allegedly raping that woman in the Sofitel, remember that? And he was paraded around. The people in France were like, oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, très mal. How dare they? This man has not been convicted of anything, but he is paraded around like common criminal? Um, yes, actually. Uh, there's a preponderance of evidence. There's probable cause. And we don't keep secrets in this country. And actually, it's in a way enhances the safety of the defendant. We can all see the guy or girl. We know that they're not being harmed or molested or whatever, right? Uh, perp walks. I showed about 50 of them last night on the Newsmax show. Uh, now we have not seen the pape. Why haven't we seen the pape? Where is he? Where's the pape? Where is the pape? Where is he? I saw one courtroom sketch. That's it. I think we need I think we need a welfare check. Hey, do me a favor. Kathy Hochul again is doubling down on this whole thing about 
Uh, the crime wave is a conspiracy. It is fake. And uh, New Yorkers are making it up. She actually said on CNN this morning that New Yorkers are making it up. Wow. Kathy Hochul, that is uh, probably your 18th devastating gaffe of the campaign. No wonder why they kept you under wraps. You know what I mean? Why they put you in bubble wrap. They didn't want you out there very much because you are accident prone and you are going to lose. We got to go out there and do our part. But Ralph is in Westchester. Yes, Ralph. Greg, great show. Um, here's a question. But a precedent has been set that you can go after a retired president, Trump. What's going to happen in the future when the Congress, Department of Justice, FBI want to go after FBI, uh, Obama, uh, Biden? And how about guy like Holder held in contempt? Isn't this setting a precedent? What do you think? Well, look, I don't necessarily want to be like them. If there is credible information that needs to be investigated, but I don't want to investigate for the sake of investigating. That's what the bad guys do. I know, tit for tat. Now it's payback time. You can make that case. But I... uh I'd rather the Department of Justice be working on keeping people safe, you know, going after people who pose a genuine threat. And if Obama and Biden pose a genuine threat, uh, by all means. And we definitely need to investigate Hunter. That needs to continue. And Joe, I'm a little bit, you know what I mean? I understand, Ralph, where you're coming from. But I, I think... I'd like to think I'm better than that. We're better than that. We don't go around investigating our political enemies just because they're our political enemies. But I know the temptation. You understand my reluctance, though, Ralph? Yeah, but I, yeah, I do. But I agree with you. But except for one thing, um, they, they went, they, they committed treason by going after Trump, the FBI, and Obama administration. How could you even say that's be? Let's be good about it. That's ridiculous what they did. Yes, it is. But there's one thing that Obama could. You know what? You're right. That January 5th meeting that they had in the Oval Office and they all plotted and planned. But here's the deal, dude. They left themselves wiggle room. A lot of this was done with a wink and a nod. But you know what? Yeah. Screw that. These guys sabotaged a presidency. They sabotaged a presidency. Two years. Two years. Thanks for refreshing my memory, Ralph. That little meeting they had with Comey and Susan Rice and Peter Strzok was there. And Joe Biden was saying, maybe we can get him on the Logan Act, get Michael Flynn, good man. But they put him through hell. And they were all doing it at Obama's behest. And what's her name? Susan Rice wrote that cover your ass email. Yeah, yeah. Hey, a big step in the right direction, Ralph. Ralph, I take it all back. You know what? You're right. You're right. When you're right, you're right. And Jim Jordan just dropped a 1,000-page report on the FBI, rotten to its core FBI. Of course it is the federal government running a law enforcement uh, organization. Of course it's going to be all screwed up. And it has been for a long time. Ralph, seriously, man, you threw some water in my face that I needed. I forgot about a couple of things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. All righty, all righty, all righty. You know, there's a school of thought, by the way, that, you know, the callers are always wrong. No, you guys are the best. You know, you really are. Uh, You'll see if you watch the Newsmax show, a lot of you, a lot of the ideas that are presented here, uh, we kick them around and they find their way onto the Newsmax TV show. And um, the show continues to do very well. Alex in California. Yes. 
hi. Thank you for taking my call. Is this the guy uh, up in Silicon Valley, the smart guy? Well, I don't know if I'm You're smart, the data uh, person. I, you know the data stuff, right? Uh, yes. All right, good. What's up? Uh, well, I wanted to say that uh, yesterday uh, Sean Hannity mentioned that most in most of the electoral races where Republicans now have a electoral advantage, it's all within the margin of error. So what that means is that if uh, Hispanics and Africans do a late surge in voting, then that red wave will not appear. And that is, uh, I believe, a, a fair assessment. So Sean Hannity was optimistic, but he was very cautious about about his commentary. Well, I love Sean Hannity, but I'm going to tell you this. You know, a lot of the uh, African-American votes and um, uh, Hispanics, they've been voting conservative. That's one of the reasons why they are so afraid of Trump. He represents an existential, as they love to say, threat to the Democrat Party. This has been the most underreported story in history. Well, one of them that uh, Donald Trump doing very well with black men, 20 percent. This is after years, decades of Democrats winning 98 percent of the African-American vote. This is incredible. These are incredible inroads. And Hispanics, I think the next, they'll be the most solidly, solidly Republican conservative voting bloc in the country. So, um, and the other thing, he's, he's, I think he's operating off of a uh, old playbook. And I don't see, quite frankly, you know, there are no boundaries to voting in America. And, um, when black people want to vote, they can, and they vote the same levels as white people. They really do. You can look it up. In 2008, black uh, voting rates were the same as uh, as white voting rates. They were. Sometimes it's an extra challenge to get uh, the uh, black men and women to come out to vote. It is. I don't know if they're motivated this time. And I hate, quite frankly, talking with such a broad brush because they're, I don't like talking about the white vote, the black vote the Hispanic vote, because we're individuals and that kind of thing. But the people who look at this stuff and the data, so I'd put a little bit of, I'd take it with a grain of salt, even though I like Sean Hannity. Okay, Alex? Uh, Yes. Actually, I wanted to add, these elections are always an opportunity to determine the credibility of the, uh, I guess, the political commentator, because if they know what they're talking about, then their predictions will come true. And if they don't, then, of course, you get a very opposite, a very different result. So uh, I think Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity uh, tend to be uh, fairly accurate in their predictions. Well, nobody is more accurate than I am, and I can prove it to you. I'm even better than O'Reilly on this one. Are you ready? You can look it up yourself. Do you know what happened on June 16th, 2015? Something big politically. Do you remember, Alex? On June 16th, 2015, Donald Trump came down the escalator and announced for president. Oh, I see. And And do you know who said he would win the nomination and the presidency on that day? The guy you're talking to right now. Everybody laughed at me. Everybody mocked me. Um, Bill O'Reilly was there that day, and I love Bill O'Reilly, but he said he would never make it past New Hampshire. All right? (laughs) I am so proud of it, and you can look it up. So, um, look, nobody's perfect, and um, but I've got a pretty damn good track record when it comes to this stuff. Thanks, Alex. I'll be back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Whoa! Whoa! 
<laughs> I knew it. Oh, it's all falling apart. Uh, NBC News even saying enough, enough. They can't hold the water on this Pelosi story. Amazing. NBC News polls report claiming Paul Pelosi did not indicate emergency to cops report. Now, I've been saying this since the get go. All right. Now, listen to this right now on the New York Post website. NBC News pulled a report Friday that claimed House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband did not let on that he was in any danger when the cops showed up at his home just prior to the hammer attack. The now-deleted clip said Paul Pelosi, 82, answered the door for cops who responded to a 911 call at the San Francisco home. But the officers were seemingly unaware they had been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. Now, here's the important part. Pelosi did not declare an emergency or try to leave, but instead walked several feet back into the foyer toward armed attacker David DePape, who had broken into the home last Friday and was carrying a hammer, sources told NBC News. The rep- you know, I, I pointed this out. Remember? You can look at my Twitter. You can look at my show. You know what happened? Paul Pelosi <laughs> greets the officers. According to the affidavit, he greeted the officers. My greeting would have been help. My greeting would have been, let me the hell out of here. I got a maniac in the house. The cops are there. You ask for help. The report, which cited sources familiar with the matter, said that it wasn't clear what Paul Losey's mental state was or if he had already been hurt. The NBC report from Friday was taken down with the explanation, the piece should not have aired because it did not meet NBC News reporting standards. Oh, really? Do you have logic? Is logic part of your reporting standards? The report contradicted court documents filed into Pape's case, which said Pelosi Pelosi nervously but calmly greeted officers in a dimly lit foyer where both men stood. Actually the actually the um the federal affidavit did not say that. The federal affidavit said nothing to that effect. They just said Pelosi greeted the officers. Now I'll look at the state one. I don't remember that from the state one. An officer asked what was going on, and DePape responded, everything's good, before a flashlight. See, this story doesn't make sense. People, we were right. Mr. Pelosi had his hand on the top of the handle near the hammer itself. An officer yelled for DePape to drop the hammer, and the madman replied, um, nope, before he wrested the hammer free from Pelosi's grip, stepped back and lunged at the elderly man, da-da-da, according to court papers. <laughs> finally, 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 the mainstream. Now, look, again, is this a big break? No, but I, I, I pointed this out. You guys, you guys have been listening to me. You know what I said. This makes no sense. He greeted the officers. This makes no sense. Who opened the door? Now, is it? it is Pelosi. So Pelosi goes walking all the way back. That's why the police have been so sketchy and cagey about all this. Big, big stuff. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I told you guys I was a lone person out there, it felt like, for a while. You and my audience, of course, and a couple of other brave people, that there's something fundamentally wrong with this case surrounding Paul Pelosi. Totally, totally wrong. I could tell from the cops they contradicted themselves. They held back on basic information that they should have been sharing. There is something very, very wrong. And now NBC has retracted, however, it was online for a while, 
Uh, they pointed out, granted, I pointed this out a couple of days ago, that Pelosi, according to sources, um, did not declare an emergency. Once the cops got there, he walked back several feet into the foyer uh, to the within reach of the armed attacker, Dave DePape. There's something wrong here. More on that in a little bit. Now, however, first, we got a special surprise guest, and I hope he's not calling to bust my chops, uh, <laughs> but he is the legendary uh, broadcaster and most successful author of all time, at least on the nonfiction side, Bill O'Reilly. Bill, uh, welcome. Nice to hear from you. What's going on? Yeah, cruising around Long Island listening to your show, Kelly, and I wanted to verify what you said about the Trump situation, you were absolutely right. Uh, you were the guy, I think the only guy, who called uh, the Trump victory, uh, what was it, 18 months before the, it happened? I And you were right about me. I did not think that Trump back then could break through the Bush machine. And um, I knew that he was... Formidable, well-financed Trump, but I never thought he would get enough support from the Republican Party to get the nomination. So I just wanted to verify for the millions of people who listen to you that you told them the truth. Well, Bill, thank you so much, because sometimes people's memories can can, you know, I was like, oh, does Bill remember like I do? So let me set it up. On June 16, 2015, uh, Donald Trump declared we all saw him come down the escalator. I was there in person, and so was Bill O'Reilly, George Stephanopoulos, and only really, I think, quite frankly, that was it. There were a lot of cameras, Bill, but there weren't that many journalists, and one of the reasons why I was able to you know, see what I saw is because I was there. But I do remember we were getting onto the elevator. I was in shock. I was like, this is, the world has changed. Everything is different, and you said, uh, he's not going to make it past uh, New Hampshire. And um, but, Bill, then we went up. Do you remember we went up to the office? You interviewed him and yeah, and Trump I the first interview with him. It was. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I told him in the interview exactly what I told you. I said, yeah, I win, <laughs> you know, because that's me. Um, and I was wrong. Um, it was an amazing thing to watch from a historical point of view. It was a change point in America that people were so angry about what was happening by the standard politicians that they were going to go with an unknown Trump. And then four years later, the anger shifts against Trump. And the only reason Biden won was because people didn't like Trump, not because of the way he governed. And now, two years after that, the anger has shifted back into the Republican precincts, which are furious about what the Biden administration is doing. So this anger quotient is a very um, specific indicator of who will win and who will not win. So, Bill, you were there. I was there. You know who wasn't there? The New York Times. Maggie Haberman was not there, yet she wrote up a little piece, a little snarky piece, saying there's no way he can win because he was rude at some dinner in Iowa like a, a year before, and she couldn't imagine the circumstances. Did not take him seriously. It was a total joke. And, uh, you know, Maggie Haberman, for whatever reason, the left reveres her. I guess Trump does call her from time to time. But, you know, I'm reading her book, which is just full of mistakes, uh, quite frankly, distortions that, 
they've got to be lies. Uh, I just it calls to to mind that to really cover something, Bill, you're a great anchor, you know, but you're a reporter first. I think it's fair to say. And you get out there. You got to experience this stuff firsthand. And fewer and fewer people are experiencing first things firsthand than ever before, especially in journalism. Absolutely, uh, Haberman's reporting on Donald Trump was based on 140 anonymous sources. 140, which was not verified, that the New York Times will allow its reports, its reported staff to put in articles, unverified reports by anonymous people. And they don't even tell their editors who who they are. So you could fabricate whatever you want to fabricate, which has happened to the New York Times. They've had a number of scandals in their past, which exactly. Now, as far as Haberman is concerned, I don't care. Anybody who believes that woman, hey, you're an American, you're free to believe what you want to believe. She hates Trump. She's made money off hating Trump. She's just like Bob Woodward. They'll say anything. They don't have to verify it. And if it's wrong, no one holds them accountable. So that's the industry that we're in, Kelly. It has deteriorated over the past 20 years. You you don't even recognize it anymore. It's all about money and hatred. Well, now on the on the Pelosi thing, this is interesting. And I want to as you know, you are my friend. I want to caution you about one thing. Is that all right? No, no, no. Please do, because I know that you're uh, I've heard you speak out about this and you we do disagree on this. But go ahead, please. I don't know if we disagree, but we're reporting it differently. So all I'm going to report at this point is the court documents. Because I'm not using any anonymous sources. I never do, ever, on anything. Okay? The court documents are accumulated information from the FBI, which is involved in this, as you know, and the local San Francisco Police Department. I do not trust the locals because the locals are not reliable sources. Nancy Pelosi is powerful in that town, and she can get stuff spiked. The FBI is another matter on criminal investigations, not Trump, not political, but criminal. Their field office in San Francisco is pretty good. So when you have a guy like LePape, he's charged. And in the charges, it has to list what the charges are and why they are being launched. And that's where the information flow should stay. Now, you can say, as you have, this doesn't look right to me. And I'm, I'll respect that all day long. I mean, Mr. Pelosi has a drinking problem. We all know that. That's backed up by his DUI this summer. He's 82. So if he's befuddled, that's not unusual. Mm. But I would hesitate to speculate in a negative way on the victim, Pelosi, without having very substantial evidence. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, but I'll say this. You and I may be reading the same documents differently or our interpretation is different because, like you, I have been relying on on actually two things, statements from the police. I have been listening 
to their official statements and noting the inconsistencies and the strangeness and the district attorney violating her own standards and procedures to withhold the 911 tape, to withhold the body cam tape. And as I look at the federal affidavit, this is one of the things that really leaped out at me. It said that Pelosi greeted the officers. Pelosi greeted the officers when they came. Now, by the way, they've okay. all been vague and confusing about who opened the door. They, they contradict right, themselves right. in these documents. And that, to me, just said this is not credible. They're hiding something. Number one, the San Francisco Police Department is not credible, as I said. So whatever they say has to be taken with skepticism. A greeting could be interpreted 50 different ways. We don't know. There was a live cam, and I know you know this, from the Capitol Police in D.C. to the Pelosi home. That tape has been reviewed by the FBI. So, have they released the tape? No. Are they required to release it? No. It's an ongoing investigation, and you better than anyone on earth. No, you don't release stuff unless you... Um, are sure it's not going to influence the investigation one way or the other. Can I ask you so this, though, not, Bill? What about the 911 yeah. tape? The 911 tapes, that has become... That and quite, should be released. And it hasn't because been. San Francisco, yeah, because that's the purview of the DA in San Francisco but, and the San Francisco mayor, and they're not reliable. And so to me, that's, that's that that is that's significant because they they put these things out for big cases and small. When a cop shoots somebody, they release the body cam tape. They release the nine one one tape. When uh, uh, Usher or uh, Kevin Hart gets into a car accident, they release the nine one one tape. Quite frankly, I actually don't think they should do that as a matter of policy because it could make somebody more reluctant to call nine one one if they think they're going to be on the news the next day. But the bes- reason that. The 911 tape isn't released is because it could be interpreted a number of ways. But that's up to us. That's the public. This is a this is a public. This is this is public material. We own that. And I didn't invent the custom of releasing this stuff, but it that has become the custom. They're withholding it. The Washington Post yesterday says they should withhold it. They should never release it. The district attorney also said at one point. It may or may not come out in trial. We don't know yet. So I think it obviously presents it, – it disrupts the preferred narrative of this case, uh, I, 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 in my opinion. And I understand, though, we have to proceed cautiously. And I don't yeah. quite frankly care you know, I, I, about what his proclivities are. And there's been you know, rumors and, and, and jokes on Twitter. I haven't gone there. It doesn't matter to me. By the way, it's lawful, whatever the hell he may have been doing. But it's politically problematic if they're lying to us. And, you know, one other thing, Bill, and I'll stop. When Nancy Pelosi asked for privacy on Friday morning, that also struck me as very strange. You ask for privacy when you're going through a divorce, when your kid gets in trouble. You know, Tom Brady wants privacy at this time, you know, with Giselle and all that stuff. But not when you're the victim of a crime. You want justice. You want you want answers. I can't remember anybody who was the victim of a genuine crime asking for privacy. Well, look, I'm giving the Pelosi family the benefit of the doubt, which I think is the Christian thing to do, because the man has a fractured skull. So 
that didn't bother me. If there is some kind of nefarious word of the day aspect to this case, it will come out. But my message, and this is my message throughout my whole career, is you don't speculate negatively about a victim until you know 100% or the evidence is overwhelming because the victim is the victim. Yes, you can and should, journalists should, raise questions, but you can't speculatively answer those questions. Fair? To a point, Bill, I'm going to have to say this because you mentioned the cracked skull. I don't know that. They're, they have not briefed us. That's not in the court filings. That's not. We have not had a doctor come out. The hospital put out the medical report detailing all of the injuries, one of which is a fractured skull. I did not see that, and I remember because media, like that, that I thought came from the, let me just see that. If it came from the hospital, it came from the hospital. But Yeah, go to SanFranciscoGate.com in the break, okay? That's the best place to get information on a local level well i've been going to the i've been going to the chronicle a lot and what they've been doing is quoting sources so i'd be curious to see if this has been released by because you know you you've seen before when a person Otto Warmbier, when he got back from north korea and he had those health problems you know doctors come out they hold a press conference it's not unprecedented i haven't seen it i will check it in the break but bill i got to tell you we are honored honored that you called in, that you listen. And by the way, uh, the book, Killing the Legends, uh, I haven't stopped thinking about it. I read it cover to cover in, uh, in a weekend. It's, it's, it's such a treat and it's hard to pick. You, you, you go into Elvis, you go into, uh, John Lennon and Muhammad Ali. Of the three, which was your favorite to work on? I think the, uh, Muhammad Ali part is the most historical because of his, uh, refusal to go into the armed forces and how he gave all his autonomy to the nation of Islam, which is a group, by the way, that's fueling all of this, uh, Kiri Irving and, uh, what's the rapper's name? They're behind this anti-Semitism, the nation of Islam. But the other thing about killing the legends, the lethal danger of celebrity is it ties right in to the Pelosi assault. And the, and the message that I want to get across, in our history right now, famous people have never been in more danger, ever. And if you're famous, you have to protect yourself because this thing is not being dealt with by anyone. There are millions of people, psychotics, roaming the streets of America who will hurt ordinary people. But if you're famous, then it jacks up on steroids. So um, I appreciate the kind words about Legends. We think it's one of our best books. And, look, I listen to your show all the time, Kelly. <laughs> what do you think I'm so smart? I get it all from you. <laughs> Bill, you're the best. Thank you so much for calling in. To okay. be continued, Bill O'Reilly, everybody, and we'll be right Have back. A good weekend. Thank you, sir. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We got it all queued up. Kathy Hochul, who thinks she's the queen of New York. She's about to be dethroned by Lee Zeldin. Here she is again, talking down to all of us, right? We're making up this crime thing. It doesn't exist. Not a problem. Republican conspiracy. 
But here, I think she blames not only Republicans, but she just New Yorkers, right? She just blames New Yorkers. Oh, that's a bad thing to do when you want to lead New Yorkers, isn't it? All right, so she shows up on CNN, which, oh, by the way, shows me that she's running scared. Uh, a campaign like this at this stage in the game, uh, she should be on local TV. She should be um, CNN. A very small number of New Yorkers are really watching CNN, so you can't move the needle much at all. All right, let me hear what happened. Violent crime is up at 7.8% uh, in the state. I mean, it is down point, you know, a point from 20 and 20 and 21, but it is up 7.8%. That is concerning. And especially if you look in New York City and we look at the news and we see this, you know, randomly what is happening in our subways and on our streets, people are really nervous about it. And I know you're saying they're being disingenuous about it, but that is a real, real factor, Governor. You can't deny that. No, I'm not denying it. I'm just saying the way the Republicans ad campaign is. And if, if they're not going to say, if they're going to say they're tough on crime but soft on guns, that doesn't add up. And I want the voters to know that. Is that it? All right. Well, uh, I think she goes on from there. Soft on guns. That wasn't exactly the. Uh, I think. Uh, let's go ahead. I want to. I want to hear the rest of her answer because she actually. I'm told that she rips on New Yorkers. Um, guns, guns. People are being pushed on the subway without a gun. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Very early on, very early on, I uh, think it must have been when the federal affidavit came out, which was Monday. There was a word that just leaped out at me, and it said uh, Pelosi greeted the officers. And I thought this, no, this this suggests to me a lot. Now, they chose that word greeted. Bill O'Reilly is right. That can mean a lot of things. But generally speaking, it has a friendly, unalarming connotation, right? There's nothing uh, I, I said on Twitter and I believe on my show and right here, I said my greeting would have been help and I would have run out of the house if some guy broke in and abducted me or tried to abduct me and threaten my wife. Right. Obviously, obviously. But it doesn't look like he did that. And now NBC News is hmm, this is good. This is interesting. You ready for this? I mean. You already heard what I said. That To me, that cast doubt on the whole damn story. And now, uh, I'm not in San Francisco. I'm not talking to the San Francisco Police Department. I am listening to their public statements. And I am reading like Bill O'Reilly. By the way, he raised a good point, you know, the Christian thing to do. And I, I we've talked about this before. Um, and yes, I can be, I can be tough. I can be brutally tough with, uh, especially public figures, you know, and, calling him out and that kind of thing. And I'll say this. I'll reiterate my policy. Look, I genuinely love everybody. I really do. I love Paul Pelosi. I love David the Pape. I love everybody as God's creation. Every single. I, I don't have to like them, though. I don't have to like them. And God works in mysterious ways. You know, right now, this thing becoming public. What what is he up to? I don't know. What is he as in capital H? God. Uh, I know, though, it's my job right now to pursue this. I absolutely know that. And uh, perhaps it's somebody else's job to uh, push back. I don't know how it all works. We're never going to know how it all works until the very end, until, you know. But right now, uh, I love these people, but I don't like them. And that's okay. I love Nancy Pelosi. I don't like her. I think she's. Uh, I think she needs help, and a lot of people need help. And uh, But 
So back to the matter at hand. The NBC report. Now, this is no longer. It's been pulled off of the NBC website, right? Well, this morning they were. Um, this is the Today Show, right? Listen very carefully to this reporter. I may jump in from time to time, okay? Hit it. Craig, good morning. When officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high-priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. Stop. Okay, that, that all that is not earth-shattering. We did not know until we did not know if uh, the cops knew where they were going or not. Some assumed they did. Some assumed they didn't. It doesn't really matter. We're hearing now from this guy who, why am I giving him special credence here? Because he's fake news, right? Well, later in the piece, he actually talks to the chief, Chief Scott, in person. They're in the same room and they're talking to each other. So uh, I'm actually going to give this report a lot of credence, okay? Let's continue. This morning, Paul Pelosi is home, back at the house that became a crime scene a week ago today. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. Stop. Got it now? Walking all the way back in. Now, it could possibly suggest that, uh, well, he did not feel... Look, I don't know what the hell's going on, all right? I just... (laughs) And I think the police may be a bit frustrated themselves. The police are putting this out. The police. You'll notice he said, sources familiar with the case. Well, later in the piece, you can usually figure out who leaked because it's an anonymous quote, but they that the person is in the story on the record elsewhere. So you're going to hear from Chief Scott. It's the walking back in. He opens the door. If it's true the way they said, he calls 911. The cops come. He answers the door. And he doesn't leave. It, it, it makes no sense, does it? Maybe maybe it does make sense that Nancy wants some privacy. Huh? Can I hear the rest, please? But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. What we do know is he brutally attacked Mr. Pelosi and attempted to kill him. After spending several days in the... Did you... Okay, that's the chief. And he says, what we do know is that he was brutally attacked. Okay. He was brutally attacked. We know that. Did he know this guy? Did... Did he know this guy previously? What were they doing together? (laughs) It seems to undermine the idea that this was a targeted assassination attempt against Nancy Pelosi. That's what's happening. That's where I see a real divergence happening here. We do know this one thing, that the guy was attacked. 
And oh, by the way, I'm still trying to find this out from the hospital. But all right, go ahead and press play. After spending several days in the ICU, Pelosi, who is recovering from a fractured skull and serious injuries to his arm and hand, is now home where Capitol Police remain on alert. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. Fear takes over. Stop for a second. Did you catch that? Authorities have previously said Pelosi did not know the pape. They are walking away from that. That's not technically a walk away, but we're warming up. He's getting there. They have previously said that Pelosi did not know the pape. Well, what about now? Why would you go to the trouble of saying previously? Why would you say previously? Why wouldn't you say that as fact at that point? Huh? 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 You see what's going down here? You see? I told you. I told you guys. I've been cyberbullied by half the world, half the planet, it seems. I was. I told you guys. Press play. Fear takes over. Fear freezes people. This morning, the 82-year-old, lucky to be alive, after an intruder nearly killed him in his own home. Law enforcement tell, law enforcement officials tell us the bottom line here is this was a terrifying situation. We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. Officials who were investigating this matter would not go into further details about these new details. Craig, back to you. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed like a pretty solid report to me. Well-sourced, right? There's nothing... I mean, it's also very, very logical. Guess what? NBC has pulled that report. You can't watch it anymore. They're trying to erase it from the Internet. Good luck with that. You can't erase it from the Internet. We've got it. So um, it's interesting. It's fascinating. Now, quite frankly, look, I'm Greg Kelly. I work at Newsmax and WABC. I put things together myself, right? I do. Uh, just like we call them fake news, they call me a conservative crazy freak half the time. They think I'm nuts. I'm not. I just am not governed by the things they're governed by, promoting Democrats and supporting pre-approved narratives. I don't do that. I don't have to do that. Thankfully. Thank God I don't have to do that. But I can use my God-given logic and the powers of observation and reason. And like Bill O'Reilly, I listen to these, uh, I listen to the statements. Then I read the statements and I saw all kinds of problems, all kinds of things that did not make sense. And three days ago, I said, (laughs) Pelosi greeted the officers. My greeting would have been help. (laughs) It undermined the whole narrative. And I think the cops know that this isn't as it's being portrayed. You know, the cops get frustrated, too. If you're Chief Scott, I don't care, you know. If you're Chief Scott and somebody emails you the job I did on him last Friday, Monday, and Tuesday, it's got to get to you. He's got to say to himself, why the hell am I carrying the water of Nancy Pelosi? Why am I sacrificing my credibility? This is my reputation. That's what's happening here, I believe. 
Oh, boy, it's uh, getting interesting. Sammy and Howard Beach. Yeah, Craig, we spoke earlier in the week. I, I admire what you started last uh, Friday and continue to do. Um, do you think also, under the guise of asking for privacy, they're hoping that maybe it'll stop the chain of lies or cover-up that's actually going on uh, in this case? I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I'm picking up. I, I I read you. What they're trying to say is, please, we want privacy, and that's also code for everybody, please move on and don't cover this story anymore because it's a problem for us, and we'd rather just everybody go away, right? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. But, you know, there are very few guys in between you and O'Reilly that are really going to pursue it. And I really think that, like from Jump Street last Friday when you picked this up, I've been all over just listening to you whenever I can. And I think it's basically the most logical uh, set of events, the way you've laid things out. Well, I appreciate it, Sammy, very much. You know, it's uh, it's not always easy to do this because uh, there's pressure from the other side. But you know what? It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it really is. And I, it, it, I, I, I do have fun. Like, wait a second. Here's the evidence right here. Why are you saying otherwise? Why aren't you raising these basic questions? I mean, yeah, one what? last question. Yeah. What, one last question. Earlier in the week, it was reported, not that I watch NBC on Sunday mornings, but they're saying that Chuck Todd was talking to a reporter named Tom. It could be Tom Costello. Tom Winter. Tom Winter. Yeah. And? All right. Tom Winter. And there was a third party in the home, and then that was disputed. What's actually going on with that? All right. So listen, this is something else I've been talking about very early in the week and over the weekend. Um, so there was a Friday morning press conference a week ago today, a Friday morning press conference held by San Francisco police. All right. All kinds of problems with that press conference. Uh, and then there's another one at night. All kinds of problems with that press conference, including that the chief seemed to say that there was a third person in the house. The chief said it out loud that there was a third person in the house. A very, And Tom Winter said that on Sunday. We were told by the chief Friday night that there was a third person in the house. Now, uh, the next morning, Monday, he's saying, oh, no, the, the police is telling me that there's no third person in the house. But all weekend long, see, they can't get their story straight. Okay? So Tom Winter said that. I noticed it right away. Uh, tweeting the hell out of it. I think I got a hell of a lot more followers on 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 Twitter than he does. I do actually. I got six hundred thousand followers now. So um, anyway, that's what you're getting at. And now there, it's all it's all a confusing jumble. And even in the documents now, you can look at the documents. They're kind of dancing around that. The state thing is still uh, the federal thing was uh, dancing around who opened the door or who didn't open the door. Sammy, this stinks. It stinks, and we're going to stay on it. Let's do one more. Rich in Pennsylvania. Hi, Rich. Greg, thank you very much. You and your dad are both gentlemen. I tried talking to you about this yesterday, and we got cut off at 3 o'clock. What? I think what – what's that? Go ahead. Okay. I think what's happening right now is a cover-up. I think that we're not seeing the tape in a perp walk because they're um, – 
they're indoctrinating him right now. They're brainwashing him so that he says the right things in public. They're afraid he's going to blurt something out that could blow the whole case, and they're making sure that he gets his story straight. And the reason that the Pelosi's want privacy now and we're not getting any kind of real evidence is because they're trying to get their story straight so it all matches up in court and everybody has to go public with this. All right, now, look. That's an interesting theory. It is a theory, though. We don't know that. All right. Uh, where conge- there's conjecture here. It's one of the reasons why perp walks are uh, beneficial to all parties concerned. Um, I, I want to see this guy. I want to hear from this guy. I want to hear from his lawyer. Uh, would not, you know what? Here's this, Rich. How about since they have labeled people like me? Oh, he's just a conspiracy theorist. If this guy were to come forward and say, Hey, I knew him, and I didn't do any of this stuff. He just, at this point, he's just a defendant defending himself. You see how they have delegitimized a potential defense from the get-go? See how they've done that? Forget about your brainwashing theory for a moment. They have gone to work on the theory that there might be another explanation, calling it all conspiracy nonsense. So they delegitimize that, at least in the public eye. Does that make sense? Yes, it certainly does. All right, Rich, thank you. i got to take another break. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, folks, uh, the the Paul Pelosi story uh, seemed to be winding down there. It was like, uh, but I think it I think our pressure campaign worked. All right. It did not add up. There were too many inconsistencies. The cops were not making sense. Uh, it made no sense not to release the 911 call where allegedly Paul Pelosi was such a hero and making a call that saved his own life. It made no sense that they weren't putting out the body camera footage. It made, quite frankly, I noticed that the DA, when asked about that, got scared. You could see it in her eyes. She's like, uh, we may or may not put that out at trial if it, if we have to. I, I could, I knew that they were holding back something. And also this, in those documents where it said Paul Pelosi greeted the officers, uh, when they knocked on the door. That made no sense to me. Greeted, greeted. That's the word they use. The FBI agent who wrote that affidavit. And now we have this uh, NBC News uh, working with uh, the San Francisco Police Department. That's clearly their sources said that Paul Pelosi answers the door and then goes back 10 feet or so inside the house. Why would he do that? May I hear that, please? One more time. This is this is significant. Craig, good morning. When officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. This morning, Paul Pelosi is home, back at the house that became a crime scene a week ago today. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or try to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. 
It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. What we do know is he brutally attacked Mr. Pelosi and attempted to kill him. Stop, After... stop, stop, stop. You see what's going down? Wait. And here he goes about the previously, the previous relationship. Was there a previous? Previously, they said there was no relationship. Previously, they said it. Previously. Oh, boy. All right. I got to go across the street. Some of you have been on the phone for a long time. Real quick. Joe, what's up? How you doing there, Greg? How's everything? Very quick. I got a little time. Okay. Quick, quick question. Why does um, uh, Casamitina keep bringing on Cuomo? Because he can radio? do whatever he wants. It's his radio station, and I love and respect John Casamitidis. Next, Kelly is in Long Island. Hi, Kelly. What's up? I'll tell you what's up. Spent an hour listening to you. That's what's up. All right. Good. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's try Rich in Brooklyn. Greg, look for the lawyer. Find out who who's defending this guy. I saw him. He's not impressive. He's a legal aid dude. Gordon in Staten Island. I was wondering, how did the radio code come over? For the, I mean, I would think if it was a Berg in progress, there'd be a few cars going. You would think that, right? If it was a 911 call, why do they call it an A-priority wellness check? They called it an A-priority wellness check initially, not a 911 call. I think their story is falling apart. That's what's happening. Hey, listen, we got too many. We got more people on hold. I'm sorry. Hey, it was such a treat. It was a kind of not standard, but Bill O'Reilly was a surprise guest today, and we certainly loved having him. So, look, you can still vote. Uh, of course, you can still vote. You can vote early. It's not too late to vote, isn't it? Funny. It feels like oh, I'm, I'm I haven't voted yet. Oh boy, I'm late. No, it's not. Um, but there is early voting, and uh, we got to do our part to save this city and state. Many, many thanks, everybody, and uh, I'll see you tonight on the Newsmax Show at 10 o'clock. Oh, my book is available wherever books are sold, Justice for All by Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.